When we dug into the book of Hebrews last fall, we entitled the entire book that we're going to be looking at, we entitled this series, Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times. And we're very much aware that there are uncertainties around us. Are we not? We have watched how there was to be this one individual, this one woman. She was the champion. She was the one who would represent all women. She was the one who was breaking all ceilings, making things all good for all women everywhere. We watched in amazement because she was so incredible. And then much to our surprise, she suffers two defeats. This one who seemed indomitable. Then this past week, Ronda Rousey took a beating in 48 seconds. And the fighting world of women was will never be the same. There was another woman who suffered a second defeat, who was supposed to be indomitable. And in 2008, she never got the nomination. 2016, this was her year, and she could not be beat. And she was defeated. Now, for some of us, we may be looking at that and going, dodged a bullet, this is good. Others of us may be weeping. Going, I can't believe it. What, what happened here? This, she was the one taking up our cause. My point being, it's uncertain times, friends. As somebody said to me, a dear friend said to me, when both of the conventions had their uh, nominations in place now, and it was Hillary versus Donald, this friend said to me, it looks like we're, we have this in front of us, the devil that we do know versus the devil we don't know. Do we know what to expect from Donald Trump? The guy is very unusual. He's certainly not traditional. And we don't know yet what we have happening in about 20 days when he takes over the reins. He has done nothing that seems to fit the pattern of how you're supposed to do this presidency thing. Absolutely nothing. So what will that mean? We don't know. Be interesting to watch. But we don't know. Secondly, we're watching an outgoing president do things that I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's ever been done before or not. I can't comment in terms of historically. But here within the last just weeks of his administration, we have cozied up to Cuba and distanced ourselves from Israel. That too did not fit the pattern of what our presidents have done literally for decades. It didn't appear that during the election season when it was obvious that to everybody was telling us that Hillary was going to win, that the known spies from Russia who were hacking into our system were that big of a deal until Hillary lost. And now all of a sudden we're all upset that they hacked the election, which they did not. But apparently they did get into some emails. So now we're sending home ambassadors. Now we're sending 35 ambassadors home. Wow, remember back in 2012? Remember how 
Mitt Romney, when he said how serious of a threat Russia was to us, and Obama laughed at him and said, the 80s want their foreign policy back. Russia's not a problem, and now we're throwing out their ambassadors. Most recently I heard that he and, and his fellow Democrats are looking to do whatever they can to lock Obamacare in so Donald Trump cannot change it. Friends, we live in uncertain times. And I don't care who you wanted to win and who did win. None of that matters to me. I only know you and I have no way of predicting the future and what is in store. And so the title that we gave to this series in the book of Hebrews, Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times, is still very, very relevant. Timeless certainties, these are the things that are true about Jesus Christ regardless of any political situation in the world and any personal circumstances we may encounter. We are talking about things that are transcendent truths. And while we move around in the darkness and the chaos of our lives, we're exploring things that never change. They are foundational to how things are. Those are the timeless certainties for uncertain times that we are looking at. And throughout the entire holiday season, we have been breaking down Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. And for the last time, I would like to read that entire passage right through to the end, and we're going to wrap it up this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, just listen to these magnificent words one last time. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I would declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Magnificent passage. A magnificent passage to consider at the time of Christmas, because it so much revolves around the Incarnation. It so much revolves around the reality that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, as John says, and he dwelt among us. What I would like to simply wrap up this 
our understanding of this passage with is first, if you, fo- if you fill in the notes, let's fill in the bold part, okay? Through his total identification with us, Christ became totally sufficient for us. Through his total identification with us, Christ became totally sufficient for us. And the significant thing that I want to start with is through his total identification with us. It is verse 17 which caused us to mark all of these verses from 10 through verse 18, to mark them under this bigger study of timeless certainties for uncertain times. We call this total identification. Because that is what the writer to the Hebrews is unfolding for us there, is Christ's complete identification with us. Verse 70, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. If I could, I'd reverse the order just a little bit on that as we discuss it. First, what the writer says, he had to. He had to. The word has a lot of shades of meaning, as so many words do. In verse, in Matthew chapter 18, the word is spoken of somebody who owes a debt. They, they had to do something because they are indebted to another person. In 1 Corinthians 5, the word is used to, to communicate a logical, necessary thing that has to happen. Reason would dictate it's gotta happen this way. And in Romans 15, the same word is used in terms of a, some moral requirement that obligates someone. There's an oughtness to it. And you take all of those together and the word that to my mind comes to the surface is incumbent. It was incumbent upon him. It had to happen. There was a, there was an indebtedness that, that was there that needed to be dealt with. There was an oughtness in terms of some moral understanding. There was a logical progression as to why it had to go this way. He had to be made like. He had to be made like. The word for whatever reason, usually I can pronounce the words. This one just ties my tongue. Homoe otenai. Wow, that's a long one. But it means to be made similar to, to become like, resemble. And where you get a place to identify with us, as you hear the homoi, is in, I like to think of homogenized milk. When you buy milk, you want it homogenized, right? My understanding homogenized milk is the cream doesn't separate to the top. Everything is even in there. So if you take off the top, you take off the middle, you take off the bottom, the milk is the same. It's the same. It's similar. There's nothing different throughout the entire carton of milk. You pour the first drops, you pour the last drops, you're getting the same thing. It's all the same. He was made to be the same as his brethren, made to be the same. He had to be made like his brethren. That's us, human beings. He was made like us. And the phrase that I skipped over that we'll come back to now is in all things, which means in all things. 
Brittany played some magnificent music for us this morning. And Lori and I have um, played one particular CD throughout this Christmas season that has the song on it, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, Did You Know? Every time it comes on, Lori, I'm sure tired of hearing it, every time it comes on, and Brittany played it at the piano, I always say, this is such a magnificent song because of the truth that is in there. And then I've noticed there's a little bit, slightly variations in how artists do it. But the one variation says, did you know when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? Oh, amazing truth. That baby, though, friends, though God incarnate, was absolutely, completely human. So that when the angel came to Mary and said that the Spirit of God will come upon you, and the Spirit of God that at some subsequent time, by his own power with which he is able to create life, generated inside of Mary without the use of any man, generated a new life to be born. That life was going to take nine months to come into the world. That life was going to go through a typical birth. Mom was going to go through some serious discomfort. But when the shepherds arrived, because the angels announced him, and the shepherds came and they saw the little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger... You know what he looked like? A little baby. I know we like Christmas cards that show, you know, bright shiningness around his head. There was no bright shiningness around his head. You lay him in one place. You lay our new grandson in another place. You step away. You ask strangers come in and say, identify which one is God incarnate. And they'd all go, can't, because he's completely human, because he's been made like us in every way. That's significant in terms of what the writer to the Hebrews is going to tell us. Through his total identification with us, he was made like us in every way. Christ became totally sufficient for us totally sufficient for us. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Had to happen. That he might, here's the purpose in that, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The first reason why it was absolutely necessary that this baby was in every way like us, so that he could become. And again, I'm going to switch some orders on you here. And if you want to ask me afterwards why, we can have a long discussion as why, okay? But for the sake of our time here this morning, I'm going to switch a few orders. That he might be a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Relative to our relationship with God, he needed to be born completely identified with us, completely human, 
in order that he could become that faithful high priest. Now, what's the role of the high priest? Let's just consider the priests in general. In the old system, in the old covenant, whether it happened first under the tabernacle and later under, a, which was a movable place of worship and uh, a place of offering to eventually the temple, which was a permanent place of offering and worship, both based on the same uh, same design, same plan. What was the role of the priest? You see, the worshipers would come and they would bring their offerings And their offerings would be either of grains of different sorts, but quite frequently their offerings were animals, and those animals were going to be sacrificed. And then the blood was going to be applied in particular ways, particular places. And there was a significance and a meaning to each of the five different sacrifices that were being brought forth. So they would bring their animal to the front of the tabernacle or the front of the temple, and then what happened? The priest took over. And now the priest would do the sacrificing, and the priest would divide up the animal, and the priest would make sure everything was handled according as it needed to be handled. The worshiper did not come into the tabernacle or into the temple and do these ministrations as to what needed to happen. There was an intermediary. That intermediary was the priest. And there were lots of priests because there were a lot of people bringing sacrifices that needed to be done. And there's no way one person could do all of that. And so you have this entire tribe was given over to carry out the the priesthood. That was wonderful. But then there was also a specific priest, wasn't there? There was a high priest. And the high priest had a very specific, and we will see this later, so I don't want to go into a lot of detail now. I ask you to just take it at face value. You can begin reading about it. Just keep reading into Hebrews. You'll see it. But the high priest had a special task that he alone once a year would enter into the Holy of Holies, go deeper into this place where he would apply blood to the mercy seat. And God said, I will meet you at the mercy seat. And only the high priest could do that. He was an even greater intermediary. That's what the high priest did. Well, we see the writer to the Hebrews says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was faithful and that he carried out the task in his role as high priest so that before God, the proper sacrifice has been made and we find that it was necessary for him to be in total identification with us so that the high, his being the high priest is to, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. When you see the word propitiation, it's a long word. It helps me, at least, to just think satisfaction. That his sacrifice, God said, was satisfactory as a substitute for the sins of people like you and I. But he had to be exactly like us in order for his death and his blood poured out to be adequate. Again, Hebrews will explain that a little bit deeper into the book because he will say that that bulls and goats could not accomplish what Jesus Christ did. 
so that as the high priest, he brought his own blood in to make propitiation, to be a satisfaction for the sins of the people. That's our problem. We've all got the problem. We're all born dead in trespasses and sin, aren't we? Scripture makes that clear. And in order for Christ to be our substitute, in order for him to carry out that high priestly role, he had to be one of us so that the value of his sacrifice was equivalent to the value of those for whom he was sacrificed. As a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, because of his total identification with men. That's the first thing. The first reason why this total identification was necessary. Secondly, I'm going to pull some things together. Again, ask me later, and I will explain why. That he might be a merciful high priest. And I believe the mercifulness of that is how it pertains to us. Because he goes on to say, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He was made exactly like we are, so that he can be a faithful high priest to God and offer the satisfactory substitution of his body, his blood on our behalf. But then he could also come alongside of us in mercy because he experienced this world with all of its pains, with all of its hurts, with all of its sorrows, exactly like we experience it. And because of that, he understands. He's able to help us. I find it interesting that it says that he is a merciful high priest. Can you not imagine? I can imagine because, you know, and Seth will agree with this, all right? Here's another guy in the ministry. Josh will agree with this, all right, Josh? Right? We're not always at our best. You might find it hard to believe, because I know you've just watched week after week, month after month, year after year. You just see me up here and go, that guy's incredible every time. How does he do it? How is he always in this great place? Truth is, friends, as ministers of the Gospels, we're not always in a great place. And we go through the darkness and we get weary and we get discouraged and we get frustrated like anybody else in whatever it is we're called to do. And sometimes we're not very merciful. Sometimes we get a little frustrated. Sometimes we see people and as we are, unfortunately, we're just like the people that we see. But you know, they're, they're irritating. They're two-faced. They're hypocrites. You can never win with them. We've all experienced it. Or sometimes little Annika kept him up at night. Okay? And he's got to get up and be ready to go Sunday morning, and he's tired. See, this was happening back then, right? You, you, the priest would be no different. In fact, we know there are times in the history of Israel when the priest had actually become calloused towards the ministry God had called them to. Go back to the book of First Samuel, and you'll see the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, 
And they were so callous towards the work that they were doing. People were beginning to hate to bring the, even bring their sacrifices because they knew my sacrifice will not be handled appropriately according to the law that God had, had prescribed. And they were, they were stealing people of the joy of bringing their offering because as the intermediary priests, they'd become so just so cold towards what they were supposed to be doing. But Jesus Christ remains merciful. He never turns cold towards his role as our high priest. He never becomes insensitive. He never comes to a place where he's just so disgusted with us. And that's because of his total identification with men. He understands what we have been through. He has seen and felt it all. Has he not? Temptation. Was he tempted? Absolutely. Probably in a way you and I have never been tempted. Forty days of fasting. Led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. He fasted for forty days and then the tempter came. Let's break him down physically first. So he'll be at his weakest, perhaps his loneliest, perhaps his most potentially discouraged, and then we will test him. And he understood what that was, to be tempted. To be tempted to place his thumb in the eye of God and say, I'm going to go about it my own way, this is getting to be too much. But he never did. He understands temptation. He understands excruciating pain. Think about that. If we are to describe something and we say, yeah, what, what's your pain level? You know, that's what they tell you in a hospital. One to ten, what's your pain level? It's a ten. It's excruciating. When we use the word excruciating, are we not saying it's just unbelievable the pain that these people are in? Okay. Absolutely. What does excruciating mean? You ever think about the word? Excruciating. Ex means from. Crucia, as in cruciate. Okay? That's cross. Excruciating pain, we describe it as pain that is similar to that which somebody experienced when they were placed on the cross. It's like pain that comes from the cross. It's like the most descriptive way we can describe pain is to say it's it's as severe as what Jesus himself went through. It's excruciating. And sometimes in this world we go through unbelievable pain. He can identify. How about rejection? You ever feel rejected? Ever feel that sting of rejection? He can identify, can't he? Came unto his own, his own received him not. How about humiliation? Ever feel that sting of humiliation? He felt it time and time again. In fact, Philippians tells us he chose humiliation when this one who was worthy to receive the praises of the angels stepped out of glory in order to take on human flesh. He humbled himself. He humiliated himself by choice. 
He knows what humiliation is. Mockery as he hung on the cross in the excruciating pain. He saved others. Himself he can't save. If he really is the Christ, let him come down from the cross now. And the crowd jeered him. The embarrassment. He experienced embarrassment as they stripped him of his clothing. The sting of abandonment. Don't think that Ryan and Brian are abandoning me right now. Okay? I feel no sting here. We're thankful for their community service. But we all have felt it, haven't we? We've all felt like we've been left alone. He understood that. That night, as his disciples fled in order to save their own skins, he told them they would, and they did. And the next day, as he hung in excruciating physical pain, and he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has there ever been a cry ushered from the lips of any man that would bear so much torment and pain? You've been stung by injustice. Something just wasn't fair in the way it went down. The only reason, the way they could get him convicted was to get men to lie about what he had said and done. He did no wrong. He spoke no lies. He broke no laws. And he died because he was the light of truth and men loved darkness. And so Jesus Christ to us is a merciful high priest because he can understand everything that we go through because he was made with total identification like us. Through his total identification with us, Christ became totally sufficient for us as a faithful high priest to God in offering a sacrifice and as a merciful high priest to us in being able to identify everything we go through. That's the culmination to these five different points that the writer to the Hebrews makes from verses 10 to 18. And why his total identification was absolutely necessary. And I'd like to throw out just one thing to those who were willing to receive it. And I understand something like this isn't for everyone. But I'd like to throw this out. In 2017, we just happened to be here at the time of the year when we go, you know, it's worth giving a little assessment to our lives, isn't it? I wonder whether or not if you're interested in joining me Because here's what I'd like to do in 2017. Based upon what we have just looked at for this entire season, is for my 2017, I'd like to be growing in the sufficiency of Christ. Growing in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. See, He's sufficient to represent us before the Father. I need to grow in my understanding of that. And I have found there's, there's two different ways we can get caught up and off track on the sufficiency of Christ. One is, we don't really need Him to be sufficient because I'm going to be a good enough person on my own. 
I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be a nice guy. I can see that I'm better than this person because I didn't do this, that, or whatever sin they did. And because I'm a good enough person, well, then God will receive me. Well, that's one way to get off track because none of us are ever going to be a good enough person. Christ alone is sufficient to remedy the problem of sin. That's why he had to be totally like us so that he could offer the only sacrifice that could be a remedy for our sin. So the one side where we get off base in our understanding of the Christian faith is to think somehow I'm going to be a good enough person and God will receive me. The other is that I'm simply a failed person. I've dealt with people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, trip up somewhere in their experience, and they ask, can God ever use me again? Can I ever be used for the kingdom again? Well, of course. Absolutely. Why? Because of the sufficiency of Christ as our high priest to the Father. Absolutely. We've all messed up since we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you like to admit it or not, you have. And I have. Big time. Because if it was something that at once, if we messed up after coming to faith, that somehow God can't use us, guess what? Churches all over the world be empty. Not a one of us has it messed up afterwards. So I need to understand and I need to come into this, this deeper understanding of how it is that Christ is sufficient for me. So I don't get caught up in my own goodness, but nor do I get caught up in my own failure. But what I'm caught up in is Christ's sufficiency on my behalf. We sang about that in those earlier opening hymns, and it was wonderful. The Christ alone cornerstone. He's the one I cling to, and he will represent me to the Father. He's Sufficient to represent us before the Father. I need to grow in my understanding of that. But he is sufficient also to help us before the tempter. That's what the scripture says. In that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And we will be friends. It's not going to get easier for you and me as believers. This world is no friend to grace. It's no friend to the gospel. We approach, we're approaching the end times. I don't know if Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin are God's tools to usher them all in. I have no idea. I didn't say they were, right? You got that, everybody? I did not say that. Don't go out here with some fake news. What I'm saying is we don't know what is coming. But we do know it isn't going to get easier over time. <coughs> and we will be tempted. We will be tempted to turn away from our allegiance to Jesus Christ. We'll be tempted to consider other things as more sufficient, more significant. We will be tempted to say it isn't worth the pain, the sacrifice, the energy. But he is sufficient before the tempter for us to go, oh, that's right. He is worth it. I will serve him. I will not fall for this ploy. Because he's able to come alongside of us. And having been tempted himself in the likeness of our own flesh, he is able to give us a victory, friends.
That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we're looking to him, we will find him sufficient to give us victory in life. Now this could, if we're going to take on this, we're going to enter into this, say, you know what, 2017, growing in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ seems like a worthwhile thing. And, and I'd like to consider joining you on that journey, Gary. Let me tell you, it's going to meet, might entail some changes. Well, one, it might just mean we have to be in the Word more. Plain and simple. We're going to have to carve out some time that we are spending personal time in the Word of God. It may be that we go, you know what, Gary, I really get tired of hearing you on a Sunday morning. Sometimes you go past 11.45 and then I'm mad at you. So I don't want to come back on a Wednesday night. But it may very well be that there's other people on a Wednesday night who might speak into my life. And so I need to be at the Wednesday night Bible study and make it a priority. Or Sunday school. Because we've got some great Sunday school classes going on. I need to get up a little bit earlier so that the body of Christ can speak into my life and bring God's Word into my life. Or small groups. And we have a number of small groups that are happening. We just saw a new one here. Something, I, I think it's new. Yes, yeah, there's new women Bible study that Sue Todd Hill is going to be leading. We got women of the Word happening this week. I believe the Todd Hills, are you still running a, a different study also? I'm not sure exactly where, but you talk to the Todd Hills. They've always got studies. You want to get into the Word? we got Rick and Wendy Smith. They're leading a small group study. we got Miles and Judy. If these things schedule-wise or topic-wise, if there are places where you can get involved in a small group so that the body of Christ can minister into you. And there you can be growing in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And then never, never pass up the significance of good books. Solid teaching in good books. 2017, growing in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Sound like a good idea? I don't know, friends. We're uncovering some timeless certainties for uncertain times. And we will find repeatedly that the timeless certainty is found in Jesus Christ. So to grow in our understanding of Him seems like a pretty good way a pretty good way to orient my life for this next year. And I'd love to have you join me on the journey. Father, thank you. Thank you for the magnificence of who Jesus Christ is. Thank you for his total identification with us, Lord. We've been celebrating that throughout this entire holiday season. We've reflected on it since Thanksgiving weekend, Father. And now I pray you take us deeper into it, that we might better understand how he is able to be our merciful and faithful high priest, that we might love him more, serve him more faithfully, understand his will for us all the more each day, Lord. Renew us this year, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.